we're so communicative with each other and how we're feeling and what's going on and sharing each other with our triggers and things like that. Not like a woo woo way, but just so that we understand each other that I think for me to maintain that by myself is also really important because when I'm alone, I don't necessarily have somebody I can co-regulate with and talk to. And so I think it's really important for me to be moving to secure was learning how to co-regulate as an anxious person. I love to do that, but also self-regulate and make sure that I'm there for myself outside of the relationship. I'm Doug Bopes personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Sabrina Zohar. Sabrina is a dating coach and the host of the highly acclaimed podcast, Do the Work. In just seven short months, her podcast has soared to the top half percent globally and accumulated over 1.5 million downloads. Today on the show, we discuss why proximity and timing are more important than love when it comes to dating, how to remain patient and trust the process when dating, the biggest mistake Sabrina made when she was single, her thoughts on different red flags and green flags and ones you may want to pay attention to that are often overlooked, how to identify and navigate situationships, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Sabrina Zohar to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Sabrina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. I'm super excited. I'm excited too, and I'd love to get right into it. And one of the things that you talk about that I don't hear as much when it comes to relationships is you talk, you've talked about the importance of like timing and proximity when it comes to dating and meeting the right person. Um, that's always been something that sounded cliche, but I know you found it to be true. Why is that? So honestly, it's something that my mom has been saying since we were literally children. She would always say, I know you think it's love, but it's proximity and timing. And so that's something that I was ingrained in me literally since I was a child. And then as I started to kind of just hearing a couple of more people talk about it, that's what prompted me to make that video that ended up going viral. But it really is... I think people underestimate the importance of timing and proximity in life. That timing literally being where you are in that moment of, you know, perhaps... To some people, like if you're focused on your career and you just moved to a new city and like a relationship is just not a priority of yours right now, then the timing is unfortunately not going to work out. Proximity literally being somebody in your surrounding. And I've had it personally happen to me. I've had it with clients that I speak to now. I've had it in people that I know where you might meet somebody that is incredible and amazing and you have this great connection, but they're just not in the right space or in the right timing. To me, that speaks a lot louder than love because love is great and love is amazing and love is what we all want to have. But love, unfortunately, isn't enough. It takes compatibility. Part of compatibility is also having the bandwidth to be there to support somebody at that time. And if you're going through your own stuff, I have met people in my past that are beyond amazing and incredible human beings. And I feel like if we met now, maybe, but at the time, it just wasn't the right time. And, you know, the right person, wrong time. I just believe it's just not the right person for you. How do you think people can, or how have you been able to accept that, accept that obvious truth you just stated while they're in this heightened sense of emotion when they're like dating and they, they're looking to find somebody, but then like you read, you know, you, they might watch your video or they might see a quote on Instagram and they might read a book or they, or somebody shares something about like timing or that it wasn't the right person for you. And people are like, well, 
I don't really care what that says. I'm just trying to find my person. Like, I don't want to hear about timing right now. Like how, how do you remain like collective, you know, cool, calm and collective in those moments? I think for a lot of the time, because I was one of those people, I was single for years and trying to navigate before I found my now partner. And one realization I had to accept was I can only control myself. I can't control other people. And so as much as I would like to get frustrated and say, but it's the right time for me, how could it not be the right time for you? That comes into play of like going slow when you're dating, not attaching to the outcome. Because if you consistently are looking at, well, I'm dating, then every person I date, it has to work out. You are setting yourself up for failure and for feeling disappointed consistently throughout. If you can make sure that your side of the street is clean. That's all you can do. And being excited about what's to come. And I know we all talk about manifestation and getting excited and yada, yada. And it's like, but if you're, I think I would challenge the person if they're telling me that they're consistently going after people that it's not the right timing, then I would have to ask them, are you communicating with this person? Are you having conversations of intentions? Are you seeing this person, their words and their actions aligning? Because oftentimes if the, if it's not the right timing for somebody or if they're emotionally unavailable, there are significantly more cues that you're going to get in the earlier stages that are often overlooked because somebody is so driven by the outcome of, I want a relationship you see where I'm going with this. Have you ever experienced that, Doug? Of course. I mean, I think that, you know, I was single for for a long, I mean, I'm single now, but I, there was a time where I was single for, for a long time. And it was like, all I wanted was a relationship because I felt like I needed that to be like fulfilled and successful. And I felt like that was like part of my identity was to be dating somebody or to be, you know, in a, in a partnership with somebody. Right. And, and then what I realized is like, I was never going to meet I don't like the word the necessarily the one but I, I was never going to meet somebody that was on my wavelength or on the wavelength of where I wanted to go in life if I was just using it almost like a drug a relationship like a drug to where I was just using it using it to get the fix of validating myself internally and hoping that that would like solve all my problems because I did I did that for for a while where I would just go on dates with people or I would get attention from cute girls only to, um, to feel broken inside because I knew I was doing it for the wrong reasons. hundred percent. Have you, so I don't know if you watched the show too hot to handle, but I watched the new season last night and I'm not going to give a spoiler alert, but there is a gentleman on there with that has like a similar experience. And he becomes so aware of, wow, this one person had said she didn't feel that. So that motivated him out of ego to say, well, I have to get her, even though he didn't even have those intentions with her or didn't care for her, which left her confused at the end. And what was so beautiful was seeing his awareness of it and he had kind of that same thought process that you had, which takes a lot if you've never had that awareness before to come to that moment. But it was it was beautiful to see somebody finally acknowledge that and be aware and say, wow, okay, I was doing this to prove something to myself when at the end of the day, it's more important for me to show up as myself and support myself as opposed to trying to get everybody else to do so. Because it's not wrong to want a relationship. We're human and we're relational creatures. It's a beautiful thing to be with somebody. But as my mom has always said, they're an addition to your life. They're not instead of. Right. Yeah. I've seen, I haven't seen too out to handle this guy, Harry Jowsey, who I think was on uh, yeah. one of the previous seasons he's been on the podcast. Um, oh, fun. He, yeah, he was, he was great. He's fun. He's a funny guy. Um, and with that said, I, I totally agree with you in, in, because I think you have to be aware that you're doing that. Otherwise that just becomes a pattern that will carry on for years. And it, and it did for me until I finally got to a point where I was miserable and I was like, why am I still unhappy? Even though 
Like I'm, I'm doing the things that I thought would make me happy. Right. And I don't want to go down my, my whole, my, my life story rabbit hole, because this is, this conversation is about you, but you definitely have to become aware of that. And I also think that it is hard because I think a lot of times where people are searching for this outcome and they're looking for this thing and there's no metric of success in dating other than if you're in a relationship or not. Right. Or other, you know, if, if you're somebody who's just going out and your goal is to have one night stands and maybe you're having some one night stands and maybe that's successful to you. But I would say for people who are looking for a relationship, the metric of success is, are you dating somebody or not? Like, are you in an actual relationship? That's the only measure of success that most people have. And so I think adopting that mindset where you're playing the long game is, is super hard to have. So for you, you, you were single for a while and there's, there's people that I'm sure who are listening to this that have been single for a long time, or they spent times in their life where they were single for a while and they were trying to find the right person, but they've made certain mistakes. What were some of the biggest mistakes you made while you were single that you made, not your part, not somebody you were dating made that you personally made that you've learned from that have led to some tremendous growth for you? I was the epitome of the poster child for anxious attachment style. Like I had so many childhood traumas and core wounds that on paper I normalized. And I hear this all the time when I talk to people like, I had a perfect childhood. It's not that. And it's like, no one's trying to villainize your childhood. It was just, where did I learn this behavior from? And I was so unaware of my own. I didn't even understand my actions had reactions. And so I was very victim, wounded bird. You know, why is everything happening to me? Instead of understanding, no, no, this is happening for me. These experiences that I was going through were happening to teach me. And I think, I mean, I lived in New York, so I, I lived in New York for 12 years uh, prior to moving to California a couple of years ago. And I was very active in dating. I was dating like sometimes five to 10 people a week, doing the two dates a day and night. And I was looking at it as a my validation and my self-worth solely came from these other people. And so I was constantly on edge. So if I didn't get a text, my entire day would be ruined. And I noticed, I remember there was times where I would be dating somebody and it would maybe not work after like a couple of dates. This wasn't that anything crazy or to call home about. And I remember I text probably over like three, 400 times in a 24 hour period where like I reestablished what single white female felt like. I was fucking insane. And in hindsight, I look wait, back wait, and you, I want You sent three, 400 texts a day? To, yeah. This was like years ago. It was probably 10 years ago. I was so anxious that without getting that response, my brain, I had started creating all these narratives and I started creating this entire thing. It had to have been me and I had to prove my worth and beg these people, no, please listen to me, please answer. And over time, I started to realize, wait a minute, why am I so focused on hearing the words from this person? That That's not going to do anything. This person can have every right to walk away. They don't want to date you. That's okay. I couldn't accept rejection because to me, rejection was just the ultimate without understanding now in my adult life, rejection is part of dating. Rejection is inevitable. It's not that anybody's judging you for you. More often than not, rejection and dating actually has very little to do with the other person. When we think about the last 10 people we dated that we weren't into, you don't look and go, it's because you're not worthy or you're not good enough. You're just like, I don't know. I just wasn't that into them. Or maybe we had different political views or their parents are from here and I'm from here and it's a different religion. Like it's something that could be so minute. And I took everything so personally that it had to be about me. And because it was reaffirming those core beliefs. Do you think that like what was your where was your self worth at like at that point? I mean, I just had this conversation with the episode that came out today on my podcast with Stephanie Rigg, who um, has a podcast all about like attachment theory, and we talked about like that a lot of times people go they 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 try to 
point the finger at some sort of attachment thing instead of looking at the fact that their self-esteem or self-worth was so low. So they're going to like reach for things to validate them. Did any of that play a role in what you're speaking about? Or do you just think it was just purely an attachment thing? No, all of it, all encompassing. I mean, because the attachment styles, they come from insecurity. So it's like anxious attachment, in, uh, avoidant, dismissive avoidant, anything but secure is insecurity. And where did that insecurity come from? It might not have been anything that intentionally happened to you as a child, but for me, it was being with a really inconsistent narcissistic father who was cheating on my mom their entire marriage and having a people-pleasing mother who had no idea what she was doing and never knew how to stand up for herself. And so I never had anybody that was there to say, hey, you're beautiful and you're amazing as you are. Don't worry. You're not too much. Your needs are valid. No. So I grew up with this. I'm too needy. I'm too much. And I was always, like I grew up in South Florida. I was not a Florida girl. I did not fit in. So I felt even more alienated from people growing up. And that compounded it to where if I could just see, if I could just get a man's attention and a man to love me, well, then I must be worthy without understanding that that all lies within me. And so while I think a lot of people want to blame attachment styles, kind of like horoscopes, yes, they're important to a certain extent to understanding, give you a little bit of awareness. And it helped me understand, oh, I'm not crazy. Oh, it's anxiety. Okay. But it was really just a jumping off point for me to say, great, now it's time for me to look into where all this came from and where I learned this from and where my self-esteem needs me, not other people. So what was that path like for you of like rebirth? Like what was the moment where you kind of had this come to Jesus moment where you were like, I can't, I can't go on like this anymore. And then what was the what was the path like to have uh, like a healthy relationship with yourself? Oh, it was fucking hard. Um, so it's all started 2018. Um, I was with a guy who was my father. I married my father. It was textbook, narcissist, gaslighting. I was a shell of a human. And to this day, I'll proudly say like, oh, he broke up with me actually. It wasn't like, oh, I had this big moment. I'm this strong woman and I walked out. He broke up with me and his mother, who was very involved in our relationship for reasons I don't know, uh, told my mother, your daughter needs serious help. And so my mom came to New York to be with me and was like, I think maybe therapy might be a good place for you to start. And I'll never forget she looked at my ex when he walked out the door and she was like, you're going to regret the day you told her to get help because one day she's really going to see you for who you actually are. And that was that moment where I remember hearing my mom say that to him and having this realization of like, wow, maybe, maybe I'm not broken. Maybe this isn't that I'm fucked up. Maybe I really do just need some help. And I started therapy twice a day for seven months, like, or twice a day, twice a week. I sometimes wish it was twice a day, twice a week for seven months, started doing ketamine treatment, started diving into inner child therapy, started doing meditation, started doing yoga and body and moving and eating better. And that journey led me to rediscovering myself and finding myself. And then last year when my dog passed away, I think that was the, the really big moment of holy shit, what you've been doing hasn't been working. And so taking this one step further, you know, you mentioned that your dad was a narcissist. You mentioned your mom was a people pleaser. And I think oftentimes those, those, that dynamic goes hand in hand. And then you mentioned that you kind of replicated that a bit in your adult relationships. Again, I'm using your words, not mine. And then earlier you told me you were sending like hundreds of text messages to people just to like feel valued and valid because you felt that that's what you needed. How did you like come to terms with like that side of things where you were you were able to like look at some of these I don't want to use the, I don't know if the, the word unhealthy pattern is within yourself 
to be able to say, okay, like I understand that my, my family dynamic is messed up. I understand that I dated some, some terrible people or whatever, but there's part of me that had a role in this as well. And it didn't react in a way that was necessarily healthy. So I, I would love to dive into like, what did that level of work look like for you? That was tough because for so long, I wanted to just blame other people. It's easier to do that and to say, no, 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 but it's because this person does this until I had the awareness of, well, but then why do you keep allowing it? If somebody is treating you in a way that doesn't align with what it is that you want, if you actually really love yourself, if you actually believe in yourself, and if you actually have the value within yourself to say that I deserve better, then deserving better means walking the fuck away from things that don't align, not trying to change that person. And- for me, it was really understanding, okay, where was this need coming from? That was my first level of awareness is like, where was, where did I learn this behavior from? And what was it trying to protect me from? Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to shame or blame myself into healing. You can't do that. We can't add more shame and blame and make ourselves feel worse for how we're feeling. But I could show myself a lot of love and compassion and let myself know I did the best I could with the information that I knew. And so when I really started to dive into the inner child work and say, oh, wow, okay, my father behaved like this. Thus, it was manifesting in my adult relationships where I was constantly trying to get their approval, which is where the text messaging started to come in and that heightened level of anxiety and the fear of the unknown. And so now that's why I'm a big advocate now on the other side of things of like, you don't need to be texting somebody 24 hours a day when you've just met them because you create this whole false sense of intimacy and you create this projection. And oftentimes these are the people that have a higher propensity of recreating and reenacting what you went through. Because at the end of the day, we're going to keep going after people that mimic our caregivers to try to heal that version of ourselves if we're ignoring the part of ourselves that needs us then. When did you feel like you were on the other side of all that to where you got to a healthier spot within yourself to say, okay, like I acknowledge that this all is happening. I know you're in a great relationship now, right? And however, I also know that I'm just, I'm not that person anymore and I've grown so much. So what was that time? When was that time for you? I would say last year was really the time when I started to date differently. I think that's when it started to all really hit me of like, wait a minute, going after this emotionally unavailable person isn't yielding the results I want. And as much as it sucks, and I'll never forget, I had this guy I was seeing and he was the cliche of emotionally unavailable, came on really, really strong and was amazing. And then over time started to fizzle and he had just acted inappropriately. Like he had slept out that night instead of staying at my house where he had been. And he came the next day thinking everything was going to be fine. And I had a suitcase at the door and I said, get the fuck out of my house. And I, we'd had a conversation and it was, you know, all of these excuses. And I'll never forget calling my friend. And she said, man, this is the first time you stood up for yourself. Like you're dating differently. And I started to realize that if I don't show up for myself, nobody else was going to. And that was really the catalyst and the turning point of the confidence that I started to have of saying, well, if I continue to say no to the people that aren't for me, well, then I'm allowing the people that are a better chance to come into my life. And that was something that I just kept going. And then like I had mentioned earlier, when my dog passed away at the end of last year of November, 2022, I had been dating a guy that was avoidant and doing all the cliche bullshit, texting you morning, noon, and night and doing all that. But when he couldn't be there for me and my dog and I started to see, and I realized, wait a minute, what I thought I wanted isn't actually what I needed because just because someone texts me good morning and good night doesn't mean that they're able to show up for me. And so when I really shifted that and I now, I met my now boyfriend and released control of the outcome and just said, well, if I see him again, great. And if I don't, I don't, 
I really started to allow myself to say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to move from a place of anxiety and insecurity. I want to move from a place of a secure woman that really does love herself and is building this amazing life. And if somebody comes into it, they're an addition to it. And it allowed me to get to know him authentically and not focus on that anxiety shit, like the texting and why don't we have plans immediately and all of that stuff, which doesn't actually make for a great relationship. I guess a lot of times, like you said, people will think somebody's into them or love them based on like a text message somebody says or something they do. And, and really a lot of times, I would say almost all the time, that's, it can be very, very surface level. What were some of the things when you were in your unhealthier version of yourself when it came to dating that you saw as somebody loving you? And then now that you're on the other side of that, like what have you determined um, is actual like love being shown from somebody? I like that question. Um, I would say definitely the texting. That was my number one thing. When I was dating, I was like, if I don't get a text every single day from them, then fuck this guy and blah, blah, blah. It was very much that. Um, very much like I felt I would fall for like the love bomber, or the future faker. Oh my God, but you want to do all these things and you want to meet my friends. And now what I've realized is, wait a minute, you know what's actually really important when I express my needs and have somebody say, wow, thank you for sharing that, and then share theirs, as opposed to what would happen with the unhealthy is the gaslight, you, oh, you're making this up, you're being dramatic, God, Jesus Christ, I just told you that it is, and it's like that defensiveness that I used to put up with, now realizing, wait a minute, just because a guy texts you every single morning, but isn't trying to make plans with you, isn't genuinely trying to see you, isn't asking questions about you to get to know you on a deeper level, well, then all of that surface stuff means literally nothing, because what would happen is... I would get into a relationship with somebody or date somebody for a few months and be empty and feel completely unfulfilled because, again, what I thought I wanted, which was just the texting, just honestly created more anxiety because then it was, you'd see, be hypervigilant on the change of behavior and then I'd create this narrative in my head to fit that situation and it was never leading me to a path of making any sense versus now dating somebody saying, okay, they don't text me every day, they're taking it slow, they're very different but let me give this a try. And like Matthew Hussey always says, test and then invest. I would give a little bit and they, wow, okay, this person's being really great. I'll give a little bit more. And that was really how we started to make changes was very gradual and slow, but also having to accept that there were things that were me, that it was my expectations that were also leading to disappointment because expectation is the belief that something will happen in a certain time frame, And I was setting myself up for a failure. How has your view on red flags and green flags changed between, again, that old version of Sabrina and this newer version of Sabrina? Like, what did you think were green flags back then? And what were some red flags you thought you saw back then? And then how has that all changed now? So funny. I literally, so last week's, I, I my podcast, Do the Work, and last week's episode was on green and red flags. And I'm so excited to have you on, Doug. But we literally, I think the one thing for me was I always thought it was a green flag. If they text you every morning and you get that good morning text, that good afternoon and the good night text. Now I see that as a big ick. I'm like, I don't, you don't know me. So what do, what do you think people want when they, when they say they want that? They're like, what do they really want? They want the validation that that person's not going to abandon you. It feels good that that person is, is it's reaffirming that, oh, look, okay, they're not leaving me because that's the perception of safety. Of when if you've, if you've let your nervous system know that you're only safe if you have that person in your life, then any form of communication that they give you, you're seeing safety. As opposed to, wait a minute, this person doesn't know me. Why are they including me in their day-to-day life before they really know me? So it's become actually quite the opposite for me. I look at it as the incessant texting nonstop and the phone calls and the FaceTimes. I'm like, you're creating a false sense of intimacy. You don't actually know this person. You know the person of who they want you to see. You know the person behind the phone, but you don't know what, do, how do they fight? What happens when somebody says no to them? What happens when you set a boundary? You don't know any of that. 
So that was a big kind of realization. Um, spending a lot of time together early on, I always used to think, oh, it's because we have this amazing connection and we're clicking. And it's like, no, what's happening is oftentimes that person's chasing a feeling. They're not actually chasing you. It's that they really like the fact that you like them and that makes them feel really good. But more often than not, that person usually doesn't want what you do. Or the guys that would say, I just want to go slow. And without me asking what that meant, I didn't understand going slow could be a really good excuse for, I just want to bench you and keep you as an option, not the choice. And so given that a lot of people are different in their, okay, attachment styles or past, their preferential, their preferences in relationships, their love language, like all these things that now that people, I guess, have begun to begin to understood as far as how they identify when it comes to, you know, looking for a partner and looking for what they want in a, in a relationship. What are some across the board you think now that you have a healthier relationship with yourself and um, in romance, what are some across the board, like green flags and red flags that you think no matter what, people should either run to or run from besides the obvious ones, like besides somebody that's nice to you, besides somebody that's like responds to you, like take away the, the, the blatantly obvious ones. So I would say from the green flags, like I think something that a lot of people overlook is like, how does somebody handle when you set a boundary? That's a huge thing for me. Like if you say, no, I don't want to go out at that time. How's this time instead? Are they, are they polite? Are they accepting of that? Are they being, are they, are you feeling seen, heard, and understood? So I think when it comes to like the, the green flag, sorry, I can't talk this morning. I think when it comes to green flags, it's like, what does consistency mean? Consistency isn't just that they text you every day. It's like, do you go to bed to the same person that you wake up to? That's a huge one for me as far as like, because I grew up in a household with wildly inconsistent parents. And so that's like, are, is this person sharing things? Is this person asking you questions about you? That's a huge green flag for me on a first date. Are they open to talking about how'd your last relationship end and what did it teach you about yourself? Are they shying away from this? Are they emotionally available? These are things to, and the only reason we talk about green flags doesn't mean that this is your person. It just means that that's somebody that, okay, you should give them more of your time. Do they listen when you share a need of like, hey, you know, I'd really like to see you more so that we can develop a connection. Are they open and reciprocal to that? Are they making you feel safe, seen, heard, and understood? Those are all green flags that if you can express even a morsel of something, whereas the red flags, it's like, do they have trust issues, substance abuse? Are they battling like severely low self-esteem, codependency, anger, like anger issues? Are they controlling? Are they love bombing you? It's like, I think a lot of people look at love bombing thinking, no, but he's just being really sweet and he's just really doting and admiring on me when it's like, no, that's actually a manipulation tactic. And that's not something that you should even entertain. Does this person, when they say they're going to call you, do they miss every call? Do they cancel every one of your dates? Are they flaky? Are they always busy, but can't make time for you? Like those are those red flags to start looking at and being like, oh shit, wow, that's true. When I expressed my need, this person got mad at me and shut down. Or when we had an argument, they disappeared for three weeks. It's like, we shouldn't be giving these people any more of our time. Do you think there's a place um, to have better communication with people that we're getting to know or starting to date? Like you, you use the, the boundary example, right? Let's just say that, like you know, not everybody's into personal development. I think that's obvious. That's honestly a, a good thing. I mean, I, I I honestly am am for it, but I mean, I, I think everybody has to do what's best for them, and you never want to force somebody to be just like yourself. And that there's this big push now for boundaries and setting boundaries, and that if if I'm dating somebody. And I set a boundary or I, I say something like you said, and then they come back and maybe it's not the response that I want. Do you believe that there's a time 
for me to say, Hey, like, listen, like, you know, I, the reason I'm sharing you this is cause I'm a, you know, super, I'm super busy and I have a lot going on right now. I want to make sure I'm carving out time for you. However, I also want to make sure that I'm not like sacrificing, you know, important work stuff to spend, you know, to, 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 to sacrificing like, like important work to spend time with you. And that way that doesn't lead to resentment or something like that. Like, do you think that there's room for extended communication to be able to like move that relationship forward so the person further understands like why you're doing something? I think communication is number one. And I think if you feel safe to express yourself, absolutely. It depends on what you get back. If you say to somebody, you know, if somebody says, do you want to go out Friday night? I'll pick you up at 10. And you say, no, I don't want to go to a bar. I'd much rather get dinner with you, but I'm free at six. If it's, my God, you always have something. There's always some kind of attitude. It's like, if you get some kind of disrespectful answer, then no, I don't need to further explain myself. Like I've set the boundary saying, well, I don't want to go out. I have an early morning tomorrow. I don't want to drink. I don't have to explain my reasoning. It's like if somebody comes in and I say, please take your shoes off. Well, come on. They're a brand new pair of sneakers. I just got them. It's like, you don't need to disrespect the person that's saying, I asked you to take your fucking shoes off at the door. I don't need to explain that we have a five-year-old in the house that's going to eat the dirt on the floor. So I think there's an element of, 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 the, the relationship you already have built and how someone's speaking to you versus if I told my boyfriend, I want to do this. And when we first started dating, if he said, I'd much prefer this. And I'd say, oh, uh, is there a reason for that? Yeah, actually, because I have to wake up at 6 a.m. to take my dog to do this, this, and this. I'd be like, oh, wow, thanks so much for letting me know. That makes total sense. Great. Let's do that then. I think there is, if you trust that person and you feel safe to express yourself, absolutely. But if you merely setting a simple boundary or saying something like, no, I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable going back to your house. If a guy's going, oh my God, you're such a prude. My God, I didn't say we were going to do anything. Jesus, I just said we were going to hang out. Like, here we go again. You make stuff up. You don't need to fucking explain yourself to that person. You can just say, no, thank you. I don't feel respected here. Got it. No, that that makes total sense. Um, And I know that a lot of the videos and content that you create is, is reaction videos, is response videos to somebody posting something about relationships or dating that you like, or something that you, they, they posting they, that they post that you might not agree with. What's like one of the big, the, one of the, the main themes right now that you see like on social media that's going around that just based on your own experience, based on people you've talked to, which is blatantly not true when it comes to dating and relationships. So it's kind of a twofold, but it's the same thing. It's the do this to get that mentality of like, send this text for the guy to like you send, do this to get a guy into you. And it's like, you, you're manipulating people. You can't control other people. You can't guarantee that sending this text. I could send Doug, you a text. I could send 17 guys I'm dating and everybody will respond differently because you're a human. So I think that that's a lot of the toxic advice I see out there is very do this to get that and yada, yada. And then the kind of the other side of that as well that I see is a guy or somebody likes you if they do this. And it's something very frivolous. Like there was one creator I saw and his was, you know, a guy likes you because he kisses you on the forehead versus on the the, the cheek or something. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me because what you're doing is these are not actual markers for a, for a relationship or for any kind of healthy relationship. This is shallow bullshit. That's going to keep you in a situationship because you're looking at all the wrong things and you're not actually focusing on how this person feels, how you feel when you're with this person, you're focused on how you feel about them. And I think there's a lot of that happening right now of clickbait of how can I get people to follow that might already be in a path of unhealthy habits. It just fuels that fire. So you're saying that a lot of the 
the stuff that you get upset about isn't necessarily like a genuine tip. It's more like the clickbaitiness of the post to get attention and to get follows from on a certain platform revolving that specific tip. I'd say both because a lot of the clickbaity stuff of do this to get that reaction is that is still, it's not necessarily just the opening title. It's like they then will go on to tell you, or my favorite, if you wanted to, he would. That is probably the most toxic dating advice because it has no understanding for where people are. And it has no nuance to their people are human and that there's a lot of things. There's bandwidth, there's traumas, there's proximity, there's timing, there's childhood trauma. There's people are dealing with a lot of things. And to chalk it up to sweeping generalizations, I think is stifling the dating world. And that mentality is usually what I see across these people is then all of their advice kind of follows in suit of you're not really understanding psychology or people. You're really just trying to make black and white statements so that people can feel like they fit into something or that they don't. Yeah, I think location definitely is important. We've talked about that. I don't I don't think there's a blanket statement like that I could send to you to get you interested in me. There's not a blanket statement that you could say to me to get me interested in you. However, best practices in your opinion now that you've come out on, again, this this new version of Sabrina, you're now coaching people. You've got a you know a great podcast. When it comes to texting, to, um, I guess show some interest in somebody. Daily text messages, like how do you handle that? Uh, what's the best practices for that? Like in the in the in the midst of a relationship. To how I always suggest anybody use texting. Really, like we're talking like the first month, you know, because that first month it's so crucial to because if you you know texting morning and a night and then that person you get the whoa whoa is moving really fast. So it's like. I'm talking about while you're getting to know somebody, of course, once you are developing a relationship, sure, you can talk more in the day if you have anything to say. But part of being intentional with your dating is also intentional with your texting. And I think text when you actually have something to say. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Can't wait to see you this weekend. Still on for five? Great. You're confirming the plan. You're letting them know that you're thinking about them. You're not just texting them, hey, 7,000 times a day because I've seen that so many times where I'll get clients and like, this guy's a dry texter. And it's like, they're texting just to text just to make it feel like you're part of their day. And it's like, but I don't know you. So I think what it does is by allowing it to go slow, especially in those early stages of dating, you want, you get to actually know who this person is and you can really determine how you're feeling because a little distance creates desire. So it's okay to not text for a day if you literally just met this person. If you've had one date or you haven't even had a date with this person, there is no need that you need to be texting them good morning and good night every single day. It's just you they're not part of your life and now you're making them part of your life and it's going to feel even more heartful if they're not. And so I think if you're dating with intention, it's also texting with intention is always my number one. Use the texting in the very early stages just to make plans. And if somebody is consistently texting you, then you can set a boundary, which is what my boyfriend did when we first met. Hey, it, this is not a sign of my disinterest. He was like, I don't connect via text. I'd much rather spend time with you in person. So let's make a plan that we can see each other this weekend. How is this day and this day? And we, I knew we had two plans coming up. And I was like, okay, great. I don't need to talk to him every day. I know I'm going to see him. Spend time with this person. Texting can't replace the relationship. And I think I see that all the time where people just want to get to know somebody via text, but you're not actually getting to know them because you don't really get to see them. How can somebody tell the difference between whether or not somebody is truly emotionally unavailable or that person that thinks that the person's emotionally unavailable is just insecure and needs to do work on themselves and is thinking that person is is emotionally unavailable because they're not like being obsessive with them all the time. 
Like how can somebody dif- differentiate the two? So I think the the one thing to pick up here is that that's all emotional unavailability. Anxious and, and avoidant and all of those people are all emotionally unavailable because really what emotionally unavailable actually means is you're disconnected from yourself. So you don't actually know what it is that you want, need, desire, which is why anxious folks will just jump at somebody and constantly go, 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 go because they're so disconnected from themselves. They don't know how to actually sit with themselves. So they chase and chase and chase. Whereas an avoidant person who typically is, avoidance usually are the ones that we see as the emotionally unavailable on paper is because think about it. Like they don't want to talk about emotions or feelings. They don't want to talk about where they want a relationship to go. They don't want to talk about commitment. They don't want to have these conversations because they're disconnected from themselves and emotions are scary. And so emotionally unavailable could be pretty much all the insecure, you know, if we're going to go into buzzwords, all the insecure attachment styles, because essentially what that just means, it's just a disconnection versus, I'll give you an example. My boyfriend and I, it's a very quick one. We had like a little tiff. It was nothing major. It was just like, he said something, you know, I, I made a comment and we do a little baby talk where I'll be like, but I don't wanna. And we always talk like that. And I said something and I was like, but I don't wanna. And he looked at me and he goes, but you, maybe you could say that without ta- talking like a fucking child. And I looked and I was like, whoa, like that was shocking. And so I just kind of was like, um, okay, babe. And then like, again, he had said it, he had like a few minutes later, he had said it. And I was like, yeah, no, you don't want to. And he goes, oh my God, it's enough of the baby talk. And I finally, I just stopped and I was like, whoa, what's happening here, babe? I was like, what's going on? I was like, I feel a disconnect. We always talk like this. Is there something that's coming up for you? And he stopped and he was like, I felt really insecure. He was like, the other day when we, he was live with me on TikTok, he's like, somebody said something about our baby talk. And he was like, and I, I started to internalize that. And he was like, and I, I started to, it made me feel really insecure. And he's like, and I sincerely apologize. You're right. I took that out on you. And that was, that was inappropriate. He's like, our relationship, who gives a fuck what other people think? That's emotional availability. Somebody who could stop and say, hmm, how did this affect me? Where did this come from? I ex- clearly expressed their feelings versus, oh my God, you always make a fucking deal out of things. And storm out because that person doesn't want to get in touch with their feelings to say, Hey, this is why this happened. So that's why when you date emotionally unavailable people, they don't want to talk about where is this relationship going? How do you feel about me? What happened in your past relationship? I'll do videos all the time of like, here's how to gauge someone's emotional availability questions to ask. People lose their fucking marbles on me because what it shows is I'm like, why? And it's like, well, I don't want to have to answer that. It's like, exactly. Cause you're disconnected from yourself. You don't want to have to answer those questions. So asking somebody is you're you're too needy. That's too much, which is a core belief. That has nothing to do with the other person. You're making that assumption for them when that has nothing to do with who they are. So if you really want to date emotionally available people, spoiler alert, you also have to be emotionally available and be very proud. And that's how I met my partner was I would go out and date and ask these questions saying, well, I'm in touch with myself and I want someone that's in touch with themselves as well. So getting to a place of emotional availability, I would imagine is going to not only help people walk away from people who are truly emotionally unavailable, but it's also going to set themselves up to avoid the buzzword of the year, a situationship. Yes. A situationship is a breakdown in communication. That's all it is. It's a breakdown. Think about it. Two people that are scared to open up. One person specifically. There's usually one person that's fine with this pace and the other one that's doing the cool girl. I don't have needs. I don't have wants. I don't have desires. I'm just going to keep going at it because if I open my mouth, oh my God, what if they walk away? What if they leave? And it's like, Again, you're disconnected from yourself because you're self-abandoning. You're saying that your wants don't matter as much as theirs do. And so you have to water yourself down and leave what it is that you want to make them feel comfortable. How do you know you're in some sort of like situationship? Because I think the term situationship, it's like, all right, I'm in in this situation where I don't know if we're friends. 
I don't know if we're in a relationship, but a lot of times it seems like it's that person probably shouldn't be in in that dynamic. How does somebody know whether or not they're in something like that where they need to like figure out a way to exit versus like it's just they're just having some communication breakdown like early on in, in dating? I mean, at that point, then I would say maybe both of those would be something to look at because if you're not able to even clearly communicate with somebody, like we're talking the basics of what is it that you wanted of a relationship? What are your intentions with dating? How did your last relationship end? What did it teach you about yourself? What is something that you're no longer willing to accept in dating that you used to? All really emotionally available questions that somebody can answer. If you're scared, I think the number one thing I see in situationships is they're scared to ask. I don't want to be too much. If that is coming up, if you think you're going to be too needy, too much, if you're scared to talk about it, I will almost then guarantee you're probably in it because at some point that other person would also be having these conversations with you if they were able to have those conversations with you. So I would look at what are the depth of the conversations? If you are, don't feel safe or expressing yourself, you're probably in something that might not be as beneficial for you. I would then challenge that person and say, go express yourself. Go tell this person how you feel about them. I'm not saying you have to say that you want to marry them. I'm not saying you have to say you want anything. Just merely tell them what you feel. And if that person shuts down, freaks out, gets uncomfortable, moves away, well, then there you go. You now have an understanding that this is not going to yield what it is that you want. Because again, if you can't be upfront, my first date is always, what are your intentions? Because if somebody is sitting there, I don't know, I just want to go with the flow and you know, babe, let's just like see what happens. No, because that's how you'll get into a situationship. Because then in your mind, it's, I can't say anything. He said he wants to go with the flow. I have to be cool. I can't be too much. So if you're scared of expressing your needs versus a communication breakdown could still be somebody saying, I'm trying to explain myself, but maybe I'm not using the right words. I do care about you. I do know how I feel. You see what I'm saying? So how can somebody, um, other than getting to a place of emotional availability and they feel comfortable with themselves. And then they are like, all right, now it's like time to, because the true, I think growth happens when you're like starting to be in a relationship or starting to um, spend time with, with people in, in a, in a romantic or a relationship type setting. How can somebody avoid falling into that situation trap? Like date one, what should they do? What kind of questions should they ask? I mean, how, how should they, resp- how should they, follow up if somebody doesn't respond in the, in the proper manner and stuff like that. I think there's a, there's an element of reality here of like knowing yourself, what your non-negotiables and boundaries are. Like for me, I already knew, okay, I could go a couple of days without texting somebody, but if we don't have plans for like over a week, then fuck that. This person's not as intentional. So some of those other questions I had listed before are great first date questions. If you're really serious about a relationship, if you really genuinely want to date with intention, then asking somebody, my favorite question to ask is how did your last relationship end and what did it teach you about yourself? I'm not asking about your ex. I'm not asking you to talk about your ex. And I think that's the misconception. Don't talk about an ex on a date. No one's saying to tell me, how did it end? And what did it teach you about yourself? Because you know what? Narcissists, they don't take accountability. I had overlooked that with my ex when I said, how did your last relationship? I wanted to teach you. He said, all my exes were crazy. Oh my God, they're all fucking insane and they're crazy and they're nuts and da, da, da. Yeah, because he didn't want to take accountability and ownership of his part in it. So you can really see someone's growth or, hey, what are your intentions with dating? How do you see a relationship fitting in this year for you? So what about if somebody... They don't talk about their ex, but they're like, oh, this person was just emotionally unavailable or they were avoidant or they were a narcissist. Like, how do you, how would you, how do you respond when, when somebody's in in that type of setting where they're not talking about their ex, but they're talking about their ex instead of like taking some sort of accountability? That's when usually my next question would be great. So then what was your part in this? What made you allow that behavior? 
because you'll continue to receive what you continue to allow. So I'm very much like, I'll call people out on their shit. If somebody's going to try that with me, I'll be like, really? Great. Well, they were so avoidant that what made you stick around? That's when I want to see their emotional availability to be like, yeah, you're right. Like I could say my ex was a narcissist and I, I did. And I would always then follow by saying, and it was because I was really, I had low self-esteem and I was really insecure and I allowed it. I thought that's what love was. And so I kept going for it until I started to do the inner work to realize that it wasn't. And I was chasing my father. That's very different if somebody has that emotional, that's why I ask, and what did it teach you about yourself? Because if you can come back and say, yeah, I had a pattern of always doing this. And then I started to realize that pattern came from some childhood shit that I've worked through. You don't have to give anybody details, but you can still take accountability of your own stuff versus if somebody's just constantly saying like, every guy has always cheated on me. It's like, there's got to be a common denominator here. It can't just be, oh, you poor thing. Everything just keeps happening to you because then I would start to look at I'd want to know more about this person and start to look at that. I would completely move away from the X and be like, so tell me more about you. And so I'm all about on the show providing people tools and, and tips for people to be able to to grow on a on a on a uh, like a like a daily frequency and just doing what they can to become the best version of themselves. So what are some things that have been non-negotiables for you in the past few years from a personal growth standpoint? that you've done every single day, every single week that haven't involved, you know, your boyfriend now that have really helped you um, just optimize your self-worth, your self-esteem, and then how you feel about yourself. Uh, fitness for sure. Fitness and exercise is like my number one. Um, I'm like building a home gym. It's, it's incredibly important to me that mind, body and, and, and everything is connected and it allows me to also tap into my body so that I could, because I think so many people, we try to intellectualize healing and everything stays in the mind without people realizing you need to connect with your body as well. That's why you're not feeling better is because you're not feeling. Um, I commit myself every week to do inner child meditation. It's really important for me to reconnect with my little me so that she knows I'm still here for her and she knows that I'm never going to leave her side because for that when that self-abandonment was how I got myself into a lot of shit um and I always commit myself I have my favorite meal and my favorite cupcake and I allow myself that every week I take myself on my own date and I will take myself I'm gonna do that tonight I go get Thai I go get a cupcake down the street and I just I watch my favorite trash tv and I really get back to doing things that I love to do that's really really important to me and so it's nothing like crazy and outrageous and I will say my walks when I had my dog, it was a lot easier, but going for a walk every single day, especially between a fight or somebody saying something to me was really important so that I could separate my mind and what was going on and actually start to process effectively and respond versus react. What are some, what are some things you do in your relationship other than taking yourself on dates that prevent you from self-abandonment? So we do a lot of check-ins um, and we always say to prevent resentment. We know that when we start that to avoid resentment, it's us saying like, okay, hey, I have something I need to share. Um, I'm constantly like we have a we have a date night every week together because we've been together for nine months. We're moving in together. We work together now in another capacity. So it's really important for us to separate between church and state. Um, and for me, therapy every week, like I'm constantly every two weeks now I've gotten better, but I'm very aware because I want to be able to make sure for myself is there a real tiger? Like if my partner says something to me that triggers me, is there actually a threat that is this person or did it just trigger within me something that bothers me and hurts me and I'm not projecting it onto them? And so that's really important for me because communication, my partner and I are so communicative. It's, it's to a fault maybe, but we're so communicative with each other and how we're feeling and what's going on and sharing each other with our triggers and things like that. Not like a woo woo way, but just so that we understand each other that I think 
for me to maintain that by myself is also really important because when I'm alone, I don't necessarily have somebody I can co-regulate with and talk to. And so I think it's really important for me to be moving to secure was learning how to co-regulate as an anxious person. I love to do that, but also self-regulate and make sure that I'm there for myself outside of the relationship. I love that. Well, Sabrina, this has been awesome. I love your honesty. I love your realness. Um, if 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 people want to connect with you further, because I'm sure they're going to want to after listening to our conversation, um, where's the best place to do that? So thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Uh, Sabrina Dazohar on Instagram or Do The Work Podcast or Sabrina Dazohar on TikTok. Pretty much Sabrina Zohor, Zohar or Do The Work Podcast uh, is where you can find me for everything. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. So Sabrina, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate it. You got it. 